Good afternoon. Welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Frank Turner. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm at home in between tours at the minute. Um, the sun is shining. I've got coffee. It could be worse. Um, I want to talk about your new album, but talking about touring, you are a madman. You tour. <laughs> what was it like on your website or somewhere? It was like 2,500 or like these outrageous numbers. Yeah, I mean, so I, kept, I started keeping a list of my shows when I started touring as a solo artist, mainly because I was touring on my own and, you know, there was no one to kind of like, hey, remember that time when? Uh, yeah. with. So I started keeping a list and, um, and it became a habit. And then um, I got to show 1,000 and there some friends of mine booked a show for me for my 1,000 show. And they didn't, I realized when I showed up on the day, they didn't know what the number 1,000 was referring to. They thought, it, and I was like, it's my 1,000 show. And they were like, how can that possibly be true? And how would you even know? And I pulled out the list and they were like, holy, holy crap. Um, and then from then on, it sort of became more of a public thing, uh, partly because I wanted people to know what I was doing. Um, and uh, yeah, we're on about 2,670 something at the moment. Um, That's insane. And, and people can, the list is public. So you can go and check it out should you wish to do that. I, I do believe you. You have a great website, so I'll put the website underneath this as usual. Thank you. So people can check it out. And you have a list of all your songs on the website, which is, once again, a lot of songs, a lot of touring. You've written books. Where does all this material come from? Because you're like, what, 40 or something? Yeah, I am. I turned 40 just in December, just gone. Um, I mean, I've always been quite a hyperactive person, should we say, you know? Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I like to get stuff done, do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I like to keep busy. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of material. It's more than some people do in their entire lifetime. Um, was it a big transition when you left being a, like being your own solo performer? I mean, you know you have a band, but was it the bigger transition for you? Sure. You went from being punk bands and other kind of bands. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was in um, I was in a bunch of punk bands. The last one, Million Dead, we did it. We toured reasonably extensively and released two records on an indie label and and so on. So we were sort of underground established, should we say? Um, and that ended and um, pretty pretty unpleasantly, I should say as well. And um, I decided I was going to do this, do whatever I did next on my own because at the time I felt like I'd been let down by the people. I, I'm sort of old enough now to understand that I had as much to do with it as anybody else. But at the time, I felt burned, and um, I, you know, I would be under my own steam, and I would started getting interested in more kind of um, country folk acoustic music. Um, and you know, there was something, there was something in the air around then. Chuck Reagan had just put out, a, um, a solo record and Tim Barry from Avail was starting to do stuff. And, um, nevertheless, I mean, like I would never try and claim to be a trailblazer or anything, but like when I announced to my friends and, and to the people who'd worked with my old band, that I was going to make folk music. Everybody was like, are you on drugs? Um, and, uh, it's a strange thing looking back now because I, at the time I felt like I have a plan. And now I think I must have been insane. But at the time, every, all my friends thought I was insane, and they now think I must have had a plan. So it's kind of flipped. Um, but it was it was a huge change, um, and part of it was almost kind of like musical shock therapy for myself because I, the band, the last band I played in, we were quite sort of obtuse. We were quite complex. We were into kind of like out the drive and refused all that kind of stuff. And the idea of sitting on a stage on my own with an acoustic guitar and playing open chords without the wall of noise or a drummer to blame when things go wrong or whatever was really terrifying to me. And I thought that that would be an interesting thing to do. Um, and I'm pretty sure that my early shows were quite bad uh, because I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, over time, 
one I like to think I've got a little bit better at it. Well, I would think you are too. I mean, you're a great performer, but I think it's always when you hear singers that have left their bands and just take the acoustic guitar, whether it's for a tour or whatever, or it's just them and the guitar. It feels like by the end of that tour, they're a whole new person. Like the brain, everything sure. looks different because you can rely on yourself 100% no matter what. You can just grab your guitar and then, then it reflects on your lyrics. It reflects on, oh, I can have a band, but then I don't have to have a band. I really don't care. I mean, if it's fun, it's fun. Sure. I, can, I don't need anything anymore. And when the fear is gone. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's definitely, there's a much more of it. I, I feel like, I mean, we wrote songs in my old band, but I feel like I started thinking about songwriting as a sort of activity and an art form unto itself when I was going solo. And I, I mean, I think in terms of playing with other people, I did play completely solo for a few years out of necessity. And I toured on the train around the UK a lot and played squats and bars and people's houses and stuff. And, um, you know, as time went by, you know, I have a backing band that I play with now and they play on my records and stuff and not all the time, but most of the time. And, but it was kind of cool to sort of come back to that and more judiciously, do you know what I mean? And to, yeah. rather than just automatically have it, it was like, oh, this is actually what I want and to put it together in a certain way. And that must be different because they were already a band on their own, right? So you kind of come in as, as, as your own force. Uh, yeah, I mean, th three of the guys were, were playing together in a band called Dive Dive, and I kind of stole them. <laughs> and I, well, I feel bad because the fourth member of Dive Dive slightly got left up on this, oh. up on bricks. And I feel bad for him because he is a friend of mine. That does kind of suck. <laughs> yeah. That's cold. I don't have to say about that one. Um, but, but but that being said, so you already, like I said, once again, joining a team of other musicians, you're kind of on the outside at first because they already had that musical language already. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did some, I'd been on tour with them when I'd been working as crew for another okay. band and they'd been the support band. And essentially at that moment in time, I just started doing stuff on my own and they would, they'd sort of said to me, look, we have our own recording space and we are a band. So should you wish to record something that had some other musicians on it, you could always call us. And so I did. Um, uh, because they're lovely and they're great and because yeah. nobody else offered um, <laughs> and there we and, and bonds started to be built but it's been a long long road I mean that was in that was 2007 was a long time ago you know and um, in that period of time we've definitely kind of like we've reached the place where we understand each other now and it all totally works but it would be a, a stretch to say that it was a seamless transition to this point <laughs> now the new band F FTHC is, mm. is, is great the bonus version is out there and i never know like when itunes and spotify does like the bonus version this version like it gets kind of confusing because there's always not a lot of credits on it sure what's the difference with being the bonus version opposed to was it released differently elsewhere i mean it's um impactful songs you know yeah definitely i mean i it's a it's to some degree it's a label decision thing like um in the uk the labels quite often like to have a sort of deluxe version type thing um uh, which I, is cool i mean it's a toss-up for me because on the one hand i i like to believe in each of my individual songs as a piece of art otherwise i wouldn't bother getting to the point of finishing them i i'm also kind of old-fashioned and believe in a holistic body of work that is self-contained as an album and you know for me then being asked to stick two more songs in the end. I mean, at the other end of the day, cool, two more songs, but it's right. a bit like, um, but hey, fuck it. It's 2022. This is how these things often go. What I think is funny is, and it's, you get the bands and it's like the bonus thing, the bonus Japanese release. And that was cool back in the eighties, you know, or maybe the nineties, sure. you're, you're you know, 10 years younger than me, the bonus tracks. Cause you have to get an import or a record or a cassette or something. Sure. Nowadays, there really is no difference. Cause you can still find a, an import song just as quickly as anything else. It's just not easily put together in your 
media library is what it is. You know what I mean? I, I, I totally understand. And I, I know, and I know what you mean. I mean, like I say, I mean, for me, the, what is the sort of classic album running order is the one that is kind of constructed to work holistically. But uh, I also, I mean, the bonus, the bonus tracks for this record were um, the Zeitbeast and House Horrors Raised, which were very much written and recorded in the same period of time. But, you know, there is an art to, a track listing of a record there's a that you curate um uh, an experience you know and and, and, yeah. and the order and the song order too so that could, could change if they have to tack it on the end when you just spent x amount of time taking eight to ten songs yeah the perfect order and then putting two on at the end to join the party yeah list. no absolutely but i mean ultimately like if that is the extent of my um dancing with the devil when it comes to dealing with labels and stuff i'll take it it's uh well, and that being said it doesn't feel like the songs it doesn't feel like anything's off in the tracking either to me i'm not gonna be critical it doesn't Thank you. sound like it's a it's a, you know what i mean i was just asking yeah, what the difference is like cause i'm always asking artists because i'm like i don't get it anymore when labels do it i say if you have all the material make it one big album if you're gonna put it out for one put it out for everybody and just call it your album well, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree. And indeed, in the world, part of the reason why I don't have as much of an issue with it is because in the world of streaming, everybody has access to that extra right, material. Yeah, yeah people, people don't have to pay twice to access two extra songs or something like that. So I can be comfortable with it on that level. This album is it's a really personal album. It probably, like, I don't know. Listen to your other album. Probably feel this is a little more, a little more the nerves, a little more than any, any, any other albums you've done before. Yeah, and, and COVID happened, and, and COVID became introspective for a lot of people, especially for you. Mm-hmm. You you kind of established yourself as a touring person. At that point, when this is going down, and you work on this album. You also have to stop and say, "Who am I? I'm a touring rock and musician, and now I'm <clears throat> I'm at home." You know. Yeah, there was definitely. I mean, you know, the 2020 sucked a bit for everyone who works in the touring world <laughs> for for many reasons, and you know, obviously the kind of economic side of it was pretty Absolutely. grindingly rough. But you're completely right. the The identity side of it was quite difficult for me too. I realized um, in the UK we had that the initial lockdown lasted from March until I think July, um, and. Uh, I realized that the time that that was the longest amount of time I'd spent sleeping in one bed since I was eight years old. Um, And uh, that's something, you know, that's that's a moment to to adjust to. And, you know, I've been the guy who tours loads and who keeps a long list of his shows on his website and blah, blah, blah. And I did my first tour when I was 16 years old and I've been doing it as much as I can since then. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it was a huge change uh, to come off the road. Um, uh, and I had to do a little bit of kind of soul searching. I'm happy to say, is a, I, I'm lucky that the pandemic happened when it did on a personal level, just in the sense that like, you know, I, I, I settled down with, and indeed got married in 2019. Um, turns out my wife and I get on really well through a pandemic, um, which is a, 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 a relief. Well, it's not true of everyone I know, you know. So no, it isn't. Um, okay. I, I, yeah, that turned bad fast for a lot of people. I didn't realize. I didn't realize it was going to be that bad. You know, you figure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. Um, and then, um, so you know, uh, I also like I, I kind of properly started engaging with thinking about um, things like uh, drugs and mental health and all that kind of thing. It so happens that I started actually like taking that side of my life sort of seriously and trying to deal with it a few years ago. If the lockdown had happened in 2012, we wouldn't be talking two years later. Well, I'm, I'm glad you have, and I think it's a, it's always positive. You know, your, your songs are very positive, but they're also I, I don't know, you call yourself folk, but I don't know if you really punk. You got the punk energy, folky because you got the acoustic guitar, so it's a lot more clarity. 
and relevant. Like uh, folk music also to me feels like it's very much for the people. But then you have a pop sensibility. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to label you because it's not like punk punk folk because that pop sensibility is something totally different than those two together. <laughs> well, and I'll take all of that as a compliment. I mean, on some absolutely, levels, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. On some levels, I think of myself as a country singer more than anything else. Like, I certainly, really? it's a fun, yeah, it's a funny thing. And well, and I should contextualize this by saying that I'm not American, which means that there are probably different kind of like. Um, cultural overtones to the use of the word country for me than there will be for you but at the same time i do find everywhere i go consistently around the world different age groups different backgrounds and all the rest of it if somebody is super into songwriting sooner or later they're just they're just obsessed with country music on some level like there is a perfection to some of the like george jones shit or or indeed you know um loretta lynn or whatever which is like it's it's almost like laser precise how fucking good those songs are you know well, and um that's yeah. different country music that's like over here a lot of people be like it's you know it's the, it's the like outlaw the old old country western and not not yeah the, the new top 40 which really kind of took over totally. what hard rock was because hard rock uh new country kind of sounds like hard rock used to towards the end completely there is i think there's a huge crossover between like warrant and poison and what is now in the top of the country charts at least kind of thematically but also sonically actually i think a lot um, of producers were doing both and might like to be one of them yeah well exactly def leppard, leppard and he was married to shania twain and i think he did brian adams work and you can see there's a you know the crossover starts absolutely absolutely and and you know i mean i'm too old to spend my time kind of hating on music that i don't like i mean whatever no one cares um uh, but like you know for me yeah that sort of that sort of classic kind of country stuff whether it's outlaw or not but like you know a lot of that stuff um speaks to me as a songwriter very profoundly i get that i'm a big i like willie nelson i like more the outlaw guys back in the day you know sure yeah yeah absolutely i mean ta- Towns Van Zandt, was, uh, I have his initials tattooed on my wrist um, yes. because I believe he's the songwriter's password. <laughs> if you know, if you know about Towns and you know about songwriting, yes, he is. He is great. He is great. Um, so let's actually talk about a couple of the songs on the album. Um, sure. Well, you do Fabulous, but I also feel like Fabulous maybe ties into Miranda sort of too. Are they kind of uh, absolutely? Yeah. How it goes, maybe expand on it a little bit for. Yeah, totally. Well, in fact, and, and and in fact, the the, the song in between, my bad. There's a, the, as far as I'm concerned, those three are like a triptych, as it were. Like, um, and like ultimately, so my father came out as transgender about five years ago, which was a huge surprise to me, um, and it, that came after a preceding 35 years of uh, a relationship that swung between non-existent and awful. Um, so, you know, it's been quite the roller coaster ride, and. It was quite a big thing for me to decide to write about that um, and to talk about it in a public forum and so on. And I think one of the things was it was just like, if I am going to talk about that and that the current state of play, which is broadly positive or at least better than it's been before, I felt like I had both the right and the duty to explain (laughs) the, the first part of the story. Right. At the very least, if I was ever going to write, yeah, if I was going to write the song Fatherless, I had to release it before Miranda because afterwards would be kind of weird. Um, so, uh, so you know, Fatherless is talking about I got shipped off to a boarding school when I was eight years old, and I, it was a miserable experience. And you know, I have a lot of friends who talk very movingly about their relationship with their dads, and that's just not a thing I understand or have ever had in my life. And you know, I can get quite. Um, 
I've got quite upset about that at certain points in my life. So I wanted to kind of talk about that kind of rage and rejection and all that kind of thing. The song My Bad is is more about kind of the specific um, educational environment, you know, a private boarding educational environment, which I hated and I found extremely traumatic. And it was all linked in with the kind of person my dad wanted me to be, um, which was not the kind of person I wanted to be. <laughs> um, and then uh, thankfully I discovered The Clash at that point in time. And it was like, oh, okay, there's another way. Um, but, uh, and then Miranda sort of finishes the story by talking about the place that we've reached now. And, um, you know, one could uh, engage in some pop psychology about whether or not my father was uh, taking out some frustration about his own identity on his son or whatever. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but, uh, you know, the three kind of work as a kind of as a, as a story to me. All right. Very good. I mean, they're good songs too, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Thank you. It's, it's, and it's topical. I mean, yeah, I grew up with my bad sure. with my man too, so I can, I can understand the song. So when I hear a song like that, I can relate to that part at least of sure. that, you know. And the change, that's a pretty big uh, twist of a plot. <laughs> uh, totally. And I, it's funny. Yeah, I've been saying to friends of mine for a few years, it was like, if I told you the real story about my dad, you wouldn't fucking believe me. Um, <laughs> but it, but ultimately, like, it was, you know, there is some, uh, there's a lot of catharsis in talking about it publicly. Um, I, I'm, I'm very wary of the idea of music as kind of some form of social utility generally. I don't write songs in order to achieve this and the other. I write songs to write songs that they are an end in themselves as far as I'm concerned. Point one. Secondly, like obviously, you know, the trans community don't need my fucking help in terms of songs and that kind of thing. The interesting part of that song for me has been, to pick an example, a dear friend of mine whose parents I know well uh, told me that his folks have been pretty kind of iffy on the trans issue up until they heard that song because they know me and they like me and that song made them reevaluate their approach towards the the conceptual approach towards transgenderism full stop. And I thought that was kind of nice. You know, I thought that was kind of not a terrible development. No, it's not. It's very good. In fact, I mean, hopefully it'll affect more people like that and open up the, the world more, you know. I mean, you, yeah, fingers crossed. I think, yeah, but a lot of your songs are like the though. You say you don't want them to be utility, but if they're personal songs and you write about having issues with your father, you know, mean about 85 million other people can relate to it, or you know what I'm saying? So you, it, there is a relatability if you're writing songs from the heart that you aren't the only one who has sure. that kind of language. <clears throat> songs are very relatable, especially if, especially if they see it, let's do a song without a video and without somebody else's vision of what it is, you just hear the words. Sure. You, you can craft the words into, yeah, yeah. into your own heartfelt narrative, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it's, it feels to me that the era of the video is largely coming to an end right now anyway, and I'm not sure that I miss it. I think the video ones, they come out with the lyrics are good because sometimes you don't always understand the lyrics, and I do like live performances. You can give me a million live performances videos, mm. I'll be happy. You know. Oh sure, sure, sure. But I mean, the the kind of the slick the promo video, video thing I'm seems kind of, to kind of over that. You know. Yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. A long yeah. time ago, that went out the window. With the with the album, I'm actually looking over. The, I have it up here on the side. Um, the Gathering, another powerful song. Mm. I, I'm gonna say a wave across the bay. I enjoy it, but I feel sad when I listen to it because knowing what the content is and I can relate to other parts of my life and, and, it, sure. and across the world. But it's hard because it's, it's, it's a, it's, you're like, that's a good song. I really enjoy it, but it makes me so sad. <laughs> and the video. <laughs> and, but I do like the video for that, though. That's an important video. That kind of tells Thank you. the right story, though, because it matches. It's not like yeah. 
it's not like a director saying this is what i hear when i hear it this is you're like this is what i sure. went through yeah uh, yeah and, and it was it was quite i mean the whole there's been a lot with that song of, of trying at every stage to be respectful to my friend scott's family you know and and and, and not to be in any way sort of like I don't know, exploitative or something. He, we were good friends, but in a funny way, like my relationship with Scott was sort of centered on the fact that we didn't really have any mutual friends and therefore we could talk extremely freely to each other about everything going on in his life. Because yeah. he, he was he was also a touring songwriter, you know, and we could just kind of shoot the shit about our family and our managers and our bands and our record labels and our, you know, girlfriends and whatever the fuck. You guys, you, and, you guys record, record together? Um, we not in the studio. We did a couple of live things together. We played a bunch of shows and stuff. Um, and uh, there's a we used to do a kind of duet version of one of Scott's songs, Modern Leper, that's out there. There's a live version of that doing the round somewhere. But um, like I say, we kind of encountered each other as, as mutual fans and then friends at a point at a very similar moment in our careers. And we'd have these late night kind of phone conferences about <laughs> how fucking annoying our record label was being this or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Yeah. Cause I'm trying to think now, you, you have a, a buddy album. I was wondering, I'm probably not the same person, which is really hilarious. Your buddy albums are hilarious. So that's, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. That's a guy from John Snodgrass. Who's from, uh, yes. he's from, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Great, great singer. So funny. So good. It's a funny. I, I like the album. I, um, I just didn't remember who the title was escaping me, who else it was with you listening to that one. Because um, mm. I usually just listen to, to just this album or other you know, your past albums. You also have a couple books. Yeah. Is this the thing you're <laughs> doing? Like, it's just, I'm insane. Uh, the thing with the books, right? So the, the, the first one I did, um, it's kind of a, it's, a, I, I, it's not an autobiography. I hate the concept of i think to be to write an autobiography you have to be like at least in your 60s um you know and or have won an international war or something do you know what i mean like um and and maybe we'll get to that point but it's a tall memoir type of vibe um and i was just kind of writing down memories about shows in part it was self-serving in the sense that like you know i'm aware that memory fades over time and there was a degree of it me writing shit down before i forgot it you know but also it's it's a story that as as a narrative arc of a book it begins with playing to precisely two people in a bar and ends up headlining my first arena show um you know and that was a that was a seven-year period so it's a seven-year um book um and obviously i've done a fair amount of touring since then and, and people have asked will there be a sequel and it's i haven't quite found the kind of like the narrative arc yeah do you know what i mean like as much as some people are interested i think it's like and then i toured and then i toured and then i toured and then i toured is less interesting than the build to that point but um who knows maybe there will be more but I, and then i wrote a book about songwriting because again it's a thing i spend most of my life thinking about and people ask about a lot but i i'm i'm painfully aware that i've written two books both about myself um and that's an easy subject to write about and it requires very little research other than going yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean? And and uh, um, I do sort of have ambitions to write what I would call a quote unquote proper book at some point in my life. Um, I haven't yet kind of quite landed on what that would be, but at some I point think, maybe. Uh, I don't think a regular biography, continuing your childhood and what you've gone through, what you've learned. <clears throat> there's a lot of good lessons in there, you know. Absolutely. I just sort of feel like I need to f a few more miles under my belt just yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. But I'm saying, but you, have, you already have a good arc in your story already compared to what you've done you know, <laughs> for a personal story. Um, before sure. we wrap up, though, um, what's the future with this new album and touring? 
Well, so, I mean, one of the things that was kind of slightly weird about this record for me is that usually um, I make records almost like on pit stops from tours, you know, and I tend to be touring and playing the new material out live in the build-up to the release and then playing through the release and touring through. Uh, none of that was the case this time around. And sidebar, in some ways that was actually, I think, made for a better record. I was more focused on the recording. Yeah. I had more time around it and all the rest. But also, like, you know, whilst it was put together in a pretty sort of like pandemic-y kind of way, um, it's a record that's it, whose intention is for it to be a live piece. You know, I want to play these songs live. And there's been a pretty severe delay on that. The UK tour for this record starts next week and the record's been out for six months that's really weird for me um but the point is i i want to give this record its due in the live format and in the live arena and i want to be around we've done america and we've done half of europe and we're going to do the uk and then i want to do australia and new zealand and canada and mexico and blah 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 do you know what I mean? I, I, I want to spend a bit more time. I am writing um, uh, in a leisurely fashion, <laughs> should we say. Um, but, it, but, it, but part of the reason for that is that like, I am nowhere close to being done touring this record. All right, my last question is, with all your touring, and now being newly married and having time off the road a little bit to feel like you're a human and not a machine, the balance now, going back out there, you're like, well, you know, I'm going to pull back a little bit. I'm going to do <laughs> balance. You know, your wife doesn't uh, ask you this question. Don't worry. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you should say that. I mean, it's it's funny. Like, I, I don't have kids, but, like, a lot of people in my band and crew do now as of the last sort of, like, five years or so. Um, and, you know, we all want to work and make a living. Uh, we are all none of us in our mid-20s anymore, and there is a physical restraint to it, you know. I once did, I once did 13 months without going home, and um, I just couldn't do that anymore. Like, no. I, I don't want to do that anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's like... I don't, I, and indeed, I don't have to do that anymore. Um, so we're getting better at picking our battles and at least just kind of spacing it out a bit. I tend to do kind of five weeks on and at least three weeks off as yeah. a general rule these days. Like, and that's pretty civilized, actually. Well, who does? Which is really good. I mean, even if kids, you still have a relationship. And a, you, you know, right. I have a cat. I have, I, yeah, she has to remember who I am. Um, you know, so I, I want to keep touring. But I guess what I would say to your question is that like, at this point in my life, I'm aware that it's a marathon and not a sprint. I would love to keep doing this for the rest of my life. I don't want to kill myself trying to show off about how hard I can tour anymore. I did for a time, good Lord. But, um, you know, and it's just kind of like it doesn't have to be quite as insane as it used to be. Um, I'm, I'm fortunate and privileged enough to say that I can pick my battles a little. Well, you put the, you put the work in. So, I mean, you're, you can rest on those laurels as much as you can to career <laughs> and have a personal life because... If you're dead in like, and I don't mean like physically dead. I mean like if you're dead and just drained, what are you going to write about? Like if you can't, well, have, you have to have a life before you can be the kind of writer you are. You need to have a life to write. Sure, absolutely. And you know, I want to thank you though for being on the show. It's been great. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a lot of fun.